Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. Man, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. We by Ben Fred's Facebook. It is Monday, October twenty fourth, two thousand twenty two. People, I hope everybody's doing. I hope everybody is having a great day. And I'll tell you this, for a sort of not really totally marquee college football Saturday, we got a ton to talk about. Very quickly off the top, we will address the Jermaine Burton stuff. I know we talked about it on Thursday and Friday. I promise to be quick. If you want to fast forward, I, I, I won't be mad at you in this one case. But it's the biggest story coming out of the weekend. Nick Saban getting roasted for not only how he handled it, but just it's just a weird situation. I'm the only one that wants to talk about it. So we'll just spend five minutes off the top talking about that before we get to the rest of what turned into a really fun Saturday in college football. LSU, I believe they have made their statement under Brian Kelly, knocking off a top 10 Ole Miss team. Texas A&M, not good. Texas, not good. We'll talk about the two of those programs. And then from there, we will get to some other odds and ends. Clemson, does Clemson now have a quarterback situation, quarterback drama going into a bye? And how about those Oregon Ducks? How about Bo Nix taking care of business against UCLA? What does it mean for Oregon? Well, I think this is bigger than just one season right now in the moment. I think this is great news for Oregon, and I think it's great news for the Pac-12. Before we get started, a couple quick things. First of all, I do want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred app. I have told you they are great. I've told you I love working with them. Started in 1967 in the UK. They have come to the US and they have made a major splash. Presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals. Presenting sponsor of the Denver Broncos. And what I always tell you, nobody does a better job taking care of their betters than Betfred Sportsbook. Uh, bar crawls in Arizona, first pitch at Rockies games, the Betfred suite at Bengals, uh, the Bengals game on Sunday was popping Broncos tailgates on and on and on and on and on. And what they do for us specifically here at the Aaron Torres sports podcast is two things. One, we give out our bet Betfred boost every single Friday. And I'll tell you second straight week. It hit with ease LSU minus two and a half. Uh, yeah, they won convincingly. We made you some cash. But also, if you missed the Betfred boost, one, we'll have another one for week nine. But two, here's the other thing. 
you can go ahead right now and take advantage of an exclusive offer for listeners of the Aaron Torres pod. Bet 50 on any game starting tonight with Monday night's uh, Chicago New England game straight through college football, straight through the NFL. We're eventually going to get to college basketball here in a few weeks. Bet 50, get to 50 in any game, courtesy of Betfred. Betfred is the best sports book going. They care about their customers. They take care of everybody here that listens to the Aaron Torres pod. Bet 50, get 250 for new users. Go ahead, check it out. Betfred Sports, Betfred Sportsbook. Thank you for their partnership. Quickly, I also want to thank Bracket Fanatics, the sponsor of our Aaron Torres NFL pod pick'em challenge. If you have not signed up, it is not too late. Here's what Bracket Fanatics is doing for you. I worked with them during the NCAA tournament, had a blast. We gave out a bunch of Buffalo Wild Wings gift cards. Well, this year we are back with an NFL Pick'em Challenge. I know what you're thinking. Torres, it's the end of week seven. I missed it. It's too late. No, it's not. Here's what you do. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. Bracket name is Torres. Do that. All you got to do is pick winners and losers for every game. It's free to enter. And oh, by the way, here's what we're giving out. $100 weekly winner. So every week we're just giving away 100 bucks. Just sign up, pick games. We're giving away 100 bucks. Who else is giving you 100 bucks? That other podcast you listen to isn't giving away 100 bucks. I don't want to name names, but we know who's giving out money and who isn't. Torres is. So $100 every single week, $1,000 season long cash prize to the winner, courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. Go to bracketfanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket Torres. Tell them Torres sent you. Not too late to sign up. Uh, and oh, by the way, after the Monday night game tonight, make sure to get in your week eight picks and we will reveal the week seven winner coming up. With that said, let's get to very quickly the topic of the day. And I don't think on the field there was one super marquee topic that we absolutely had to talk about. But at the same time, there is something sort of on the field, off the field that I do want to quickly discuss because it is the biggest topic of the day, right? We can discuss, we can avoid it. We can pretend like it's not happening. I do want to very quickly talk Jermaine Burton. And I know some of you are tired, Torres. You talked Bama too much. You talked Jermaine Burton on Thursday. You talked Jermaine Burton on Friday. Why are you doing it again? Well, one, it's the biggest story coming out of the weekend. Two, I think Nick Saban completely botched this. And three, nobody else is talking about it. So if nobody else is going to talk about it, I, I'm not saying I have to do it, but it's the right thing to do because how Nick Saban is handling himself is completely wrong, okay? And the bottom line is, I think by now, everybody kind of knows the deal with Jermaine Burton. You don't really need me to tell you, but two Saturdays ago, Alabama loses to Tennessee in Knoxville. Fans rush the field. It's a chaotic scene. And after the game, uh, we find video, probably on Tuesday or Wednesday of last week, of a player named Jermaine Burton, a wide receiver that was really projected to be a breakout player for Alabama this year. It has not happened. Um, breakout player for Alabama, uh, walking by a female student. And I've said it for three straight episodes at best. He pushed this female student at worst. He shoved her. Um, it was really bad video. And late last week, Nick Saban said, this is something that we are going to handle internally. And I criticized him. I said, I, I don't think this is something you handle internally with no further context. Are we getting a suspension? Are we getting, uh, is he off the team? And I'm not saying he needs to be kicked off the team. Let, let's get that like just out in the open. But at the same time, as I told you, if that video pops up under any other circumstance, Jermaine Burton is in fact off the team. If that same video happens at a bar, at a nightclub, on the street, it doesn't matter. 
And so the bottom line is, listen, I'm not trying to be some white knight hero fight for the cause. You don't put your hands on women ever under any circumstances. It was never okay. It never will be okay. But in 2022, in the world that we live in, you got to know, you got to be better. And so I was disappointed that Nick Saban really kind of ducked the whole situation. We're going to handle it internally. But what I would also say was I was, uh, to be clear, I was ready to move on. I was not planning on talking about this today. Saturday night comes. Alabama's playing Mississippi State in Tuscaloosa. I drive into work, Fox Sports Radio. I get into work. I sit down. I turn on the game. Jermaine Burton is in the lineup. Jermaine Burton is in the lineup. And I said, what is going on now? Apparently, and I don't want to put words in other people's mouths because I did not hear it, but I guess Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet largely kind of just avoided it, brushed it off, blah, 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 this and that. But I do give credit to reporters after the game, right? That was my criticism on Friday was why weren't people pressing him on this more? Well, they did press him after the game. And here is what Nick Saban said about his decision to play Jermaine Burton just a few days after he said he was going to handle the situation internally because his star wide receiver or one of his star wide receivers put his hands on on a woman. At best, he pushed her. At worst, he punched her. Okay? Here's what Nick Saban had to say. I don't know how many of you have been in a situation like that. I talked to him. He was scared. I was scared. Some of our other players were scared. I think you learn to respect other people because we have a responsibility to do that regardless of the circumstance we're in. I talked to the guy. We have him in a counseling program. It's not an anger management program, as some people said today. Nobody ever said that. That's not the problem. That's not the issue. He kept going. It's about having the proper respect for people. I didn't think it was necessary to suspend the guy. So if you knew the whole story, maybe you wouldn't either but I am not going to divulge that. So essentially, here is the, the crux of what Nick Saban said. He said that his player was scared walking off of the field and that the player does need to learn how to respect other people, and he has been talked to about this. They have him in a counseling program, not anger management, but counseling. But that also, Nick Saban handled it internally, and you have no right to ask questions. But even if you want to ask questions, if you knew the whole story, it might be different. And he's not going to tell the whole story. So really, with Nick Saban's comments, I actually think somehow this makes it look worse. Okay, So Nick Saban decides, again, to be clear, just so we have it all on paper here. So just so it's in everybody's head. Jermaine Burton pushes, potentially punches a female student or female fan walking off the field in Neyland Stadium. Jermaine Burton It is handled internally, which we assume is at least a one-game suspension. I thought for sure it would just be a one-game suspension. Alabama goes into the bye. He quietly plays against LSU. He plays instead on Saturday, a week after this incident, and Nick Saban says that he was scared and that if you knew all the details, you would feel that he did nothing wrong or at the very least that he shouldn't have been suspended. Well, I have two very distinct thoughts on that statement from Nick Saban, besides the fact that I think it's soft and I think it's weak. What I think the truth is with Jermaine Burton and Nick Saban is this. First, I will say, that did not look like a player who was scared to me. Now, I can understand. You're an Alabama player. You're separated from your teammates. 
There's 100,000 people, not literally, but metaphorically, descending onto the field. They're all wearing orange. They're all celebrating the biggest win they've had in decades. I understand if you're scared. I understand if you're frustrated. What I can tell you, the one piece of video that we have, that something did happen. And by the way, Jermaine Burton did something wrong because Nick Saban called it a disciplinary issue during the week last week, last Thursday. So Jermaine Burton did do something wrong. The video that I saw, Jermaine Burton did not look scared. Jermaine Burton did not look scared. The girl is trying to walk by him, and he is the one that instigates whatever contact that they had. I'm not calling it a punch, but there was some kind of physical contact between Jermaine Burton and this this female student. So if he was scared, he had a weird way of showing it because he didn't swing at uh, another fan. He didn't swing at a male fan. He didn't swing at a fan that was bigger than him. He chose to swing at a female that was smaller than him. Keep in mind, he's a finely tuned athlete, you know, six foot, six foot one, 190 pounds. But apparently he was scared of a five foot five Tennessee fan wearing a sundress. Two, and this is the part that really gets to me. When Nick Saban at the end says, I didn't think it was necessarily necessary to suspend the guy. So if you knew the whole story, maybe you wouldn't either, but I am not going to divulge that. Well, here's the bottom line. Here is what I'm going to tell you, Nick Saban. I'm just going to tell you man to man. You're right. You don't have to divulge the whole story. You don't have to share what happened. But I will tell you a couple things. One, the female did not press charges, which means that unless I'm missing something, this isn't like a, I can't, the lawyers are telling me not to. This is you choosing not to. And you're right. We don't have all the facts. Obviously, if you ask an Alabama fan, they're going to say that she said something to him or she called him a name or she shoved him or she pushed him or there's more video that we haven't seen. We only have video of what we have video of and what we have is him instigating the contact. And so to me, when Nick Saban says there's more to it, but I'm not going to tell you, you don't owe me anything because that's an Alabama. Oh, you Torres, what? He doesn't owe you anything. No, he doesn't. But him not telling us what he knows, what does that make it seem like? Here's the truth. It makes it seem like Nick Saban is okay with his star players physically putting their hands on a woman. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. He doesn't owe me anything. You're absolutely right, Alabama fans who are telling that. He owes me nothing. But without context, without understanding, without having any idea of what happened, you know what that video looks like? That video looks like a coach that put winning on Saturday against Mississippi State ahead of the health and safety of that young woman that got pushed, that got shoved, that got slapped, that got punched, whatever it was. And I don't know what it was. The video was grainy, but I know that he instigated the contract contact. And so, no, Nick Saban owes me nothing. He doesn't have to tell me what happened. He doesn't have to divulge details. But without details, we make assumptions. And the assumption that we are all making right now, except for Alabama fans, is that Nick Saban cares more about winning than the safety of that woman. You can agree, you can disagree. But to everybody other than Alabama fans, that's sure what it looks like to me. It sure looks like to me, he doesn't care about her. He doesn't care about her safety. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe she did say something. Maybe there is some audio somewhere that exists that we haven't had access to. Maybe Jermaine Burton is telling the truth and she's just looking for attention. I don't think that's what happened, but maybe. But without context, it looks like a coach that is okay with a female, with a male putting hands on a female. 
It's a bad look, Coach Saban. It's a bad look. I'll tell you, I'm curious over the next couple of days if this continues to pick up steam. The comments made it look worse. I don't want to say I'd be surprised if he played against LSU, but I, I think that this pressure is not going to go away publicly. All right, I did my Jermaine Burton spiel. It was too good of a college football Saturday. We don't have to keep talking Jermaine Burton. I promise, unless there's an update, that is the last time that I talk about him. Going to take a quick break. Going to come back. We are going to talk LSU. Not really a main story, but I think it's a great story. LSU, 6-6 six and six last year, 3-5 and five in the SEC. They are now 6-2, and 4-1 and one in the SEC. Brian Kelly, all you haters, I've been telling you for three or four years. He's a great coach. He's proven it. And oh, by the way, they play Bama at home in two weeks. That's a win they could get. We'll discuss all that next. Take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, let's get off of the serious stuff, right? Enough serious stuff in the real world. You don't need more of it on the Torres pod, but I did think that we needed to lead with the Jermaine Burton news. So I want to get to some of the fun games, and I thought it was actually a very entertaining Saturday in college football. And let's start with a place that I told you we might start. If you remember on Friday's show, I said, I'm just warning you, I think LSU is going to beat Ole Miss, and I think we're going to talk about it, and I think I am going to be insufferable about my King Brian Kelly. Because I have told you for years, I think Brian Kelly is underrated. I have told you for years, I think this guy is one of the better coaches in college football that never gets credit for it. And now, after beating a top 10 LSU team at home, just be warned. If you thought Torres was bad before, you ain't seen nothing yet. I do want to talk about this game, though, as LSU gets the first, I think, really, really, really big win of the Brian Kelly era, 45-20 to 20 in Baton Rouge. What's interesting about this, um, it really didn't start out the way I anticipated. I mean, I picked LSU to win. I picked LSU to cover the two and a half points. Uh, it did not start out great. Ole Miss actually jumped out to a 17-0 lead. Ole Miss was up 17-0, but to LSU's credit, this is who they've been all year. They've fallen behind. I thought Brody Miller, who covers the team for the Athletic, brought up a great point. Brian Kelly emphasized conditioning when he got to LSU, and it has shown up. 
They fell down 17-0 a few weeks ago to Auburn. They fell behind to Florida State in rally. They did not win that game, but but you know they were a, a missed extra point away from going to overtime or whatever. And so I bring it up because this was another game where they fell behind and just started chipping away. Trailed 20 to 17 at halftime after being down 17, nothing by the end of the third quarter, it was 24 to 20. And then by the end of the fourth quarter, it was a blowout 45 to 20, the final score with the victory LSU now six and two, four and one in the sec. And I'm just going to tell you, this program is very much ahead of schedule in the Brian Kelly rebuild. And I know what people say, Torres, it's LSU. They recruited such a good level. It's never a rebuild at LSU. Uh, Yeah, but except in this case, it really is a rebuild at LSU. For people who forget how messed up the situation was at LSU, go back to last year. Go back to the final time that we saw LSU on the field last season. Now, remember, went 6-6 and in the regular season, 3-5 and in the SEC. But go to their bowl game against Kansas State in early January. In that game, do you remember LSU finished that game, played that game, excuse me, with like 38 scholarship players in their bowl game? Remember, we allow 85 scholarships in FBS football. LSU was in the high 30s, low 40s in terms of available bodies. Now, some of it was injuries, some of it was opt-outs, some of it was NFL guys, some of it was transfers, but at the end of the day, Brian Kelly inherited a situation where he had 38 players that were healthy enough to play in a bowl game. And so that was his starting point. That was his baseline. And here is what he has done since. First of all, he goes in the portal, has to sign 20 plus players. That's important. But what is important to note is even after going into the portal, even after doing a really good job identifying talent, keep this in mind. LSU is still well below the scholarship limit. Now, I'm not a LSU scholarship expert. Again, there are people that cover this team day in and day out that could speak to how many scholarship players they have available, but I've been told it's somewhere in the mid-70s. So we're starting at a baseline where LSU is probably about 10 scholarship players down from the rest of the competition, from the rest of the SEC. They went into, the, you know, all, not really just last night, on Saturday, but all season long. They're starting a quarterback that it is worth noting is getting better every week. Credit to Brian Kelly. 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions last year at Arizona State. So Jaden Daniels may turn into an all-SEC quarterback when it's done, but that was not who he was when he arrived. They are also currently playing two freshmen at the offensive tackle spots, which to me is really tough. Brian Kelly said he had never seen it anywhere, let alone in the SEC, and they lost their best edge rusher, maybe their best defensive player, Mason Smith, in week one. And so the idea that people want to say this isn't really a rebuild, uh, yeah, it is. Started with 38 scholarship players. Uh, Even by the time fall camp hit, even after the portal, even after National Signing Day last year, he was at like 75, and he's without his best uh, defensive lineman, two freshman tackles, uh, starting quarterback who, who, you know, struggled in the Pac-12 last year. This is a rebuild, and it is ahead of schedule because, as I said, last year, finished the year, Six and six, three and five in the SEC. Well, here's the crazy part. They are now currently, you want to give Brian Kelly credit for anything. They've already matched the win total from last year at six and two. They've already surpassed their SEC win total. And oh, by the way, I don't know how many people know this. I know an LSU fan listening knows this. You know they control their own destiny in the SEC title chase. It sounds crazy. It's the truth. If they go, if they beat Alabama, they will go to it. Well, they, they won't go to Atlanta, but they went out. 
they're going to Atlanta. So that speaks to where this program is right now. And it speaks to something I have told you for years. Brian Kelly's a great football coach. And I'll be honest, look, there are certain things in life that I understand. And there are certain things in life I don't understand. And I have never understood why Brian Kelly has gotten so much crap as a major college football coach. Now, part of it, I know he's not great in front of the cameras. I know he's not great with PR. By the way, who is? Lincoln Riley, I live in LA. He's quiet. He doesn't really say anything interesting. Nick Saban gives you nothing. Kirby Smart gives you nothing. Uh, Ryan Day, I, I can't think of an interesting thing Ryan Day did, has, has ever said. Jim Harbaugh is kind of a different cat, to say the least. So, like, yeah, Brian Kelly's not good in front of the camera. He says weird stuff. Who cares? I don't care. You know what I care about? Wins and losses. And all this guy has ever done is win games. Go back, first of all, Grand Valley State wins national championships at the D2 level. Goes to Central Michigan. Wins there. Goes to Cincinnati. And I've said it many times. I was at UConn when he went to Cincinnati. Elevated that program. Goes to Notre Dame. And... In the modern era, I was told Notre Dame football can't win at the highest level. No, they did not win a national championship under Brian Kelly, but here were his last five years at Notre Dame, okay? These were his last five years, last four years, 12-1, and 11-2, and 10-2, and 11-1. And so here, here are the two big criticisms. He's weird in front of the camera, not super smooth. You know, he, he said, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in execution because I want to execute my players or whatever he said. Said the family thing, dance with recruits. I don't care. He wins on the field. And the other criticism is uh, he doesn't beat Alabama and Clemson. Like that's, that is the knock on Brian Kelly. That is the knock. Oh, he doesn't beat Alabama and Clemson. Last four years, 10 and two, 11 and one, uh, or 12 and one, 11 and two, 10 and two, 11 and one. That is a great four-year run. And that is an incredible four-year run at Notre Dame. And I've said this for years, and I'm going to keep saying it. I understand that you grew up, your grandparents, whoever watched Notre Dame, and Notre Dame has always been like a super important part of the college football ecosystem. But I will also tell you, there's no reason that that program should be competing at the highest level. Like the criticism, oh, is it Notre Dame? They're always overrated. No, they're properly rated. I don't think anybody thought in any of the games that he played against Alabama, against Clemson, that they were going to win. Maybe the game after they beat Clemson, when Trevor Lawrence came back, people said maybe this is the year they beat him. I think they went into both college football playoffs as double-digit underdogs. So it's not like, oh, they're overrated. No, they're exactly who we thought they would be. They literally beat everybody they're supposed to, and they can't beat Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. And if that's the criteria we're holding people to, there aren't very many good coaches in college football, I'll tell you that. But this guy won at Notre Dame at the highest level, did it in an era where it's so hard to win at Notre Dame, cold weather school, Catholic school, no natural recruiting base, real academic standards. And all this guy did was win 10, 11, 12 games his last four or five years. And I told you when he got to LSU, I said, I can't guarantee anything, but he's won at Grand Valley State. He's won at Central Michigan. He's won at Cincinnati. He's won at Notre Dame. I think he's going to win at LSU, which is exactly what we're seeing. And what I would say is I kind of wrap this up. I'm just going to tell you a couple things really stand out. One, first of all, I just want to give the guy credit, okay? Because, listen, I never bought into the whole Lincoln Riley is afraid of the SEC narrative. But I do think there's an element of why Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for USC is because he said the Oklahoma job is going to be much tougher in the SEC than it was in the Big 12. And so why I bring it up as it pertains to Brian Kelly 
is because he didn't run away from any challenge. He could have stayed at Notre Dame, retired. They would have built him a statue. He ran towards the challenge. He wanted the challenge of seeing if he could compete with the best. And maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Maybe this is the high point of his time at LSU today, right now, after the win against Ole Miss. But he wasn't afraid of that challenge, and I respect the hell out of that. I respect the hell out of the fact that he could have stayed at Notre Dame forever, and he said, I want to see how I stack up. I want to see how when I have a full-playing deck, I want to see how I stack up against Kirby and Saban and whoever else you know, whoever else in the SEC. So I give him credit for that. Remember, he did it after Oklahoma and Texas went, too. So that's one. And two, I'll just tell you, I think this is the start of something. Now, listen, they can win the SEC West. They could win the SEC this year. I don't know that we're there yet. I don't think that we're really there yet. And listen, the schedule does get pretty tough even after the bye. Host Alabama at Arkansas, UAB at Texas A&M. And so they're 6-2 and two right now. They could finish seven and five. I don't think they will, but they could. But I bring it up to say, one, we're sitting here on October 22nd, going into Halloween weekend. And LSU, of all teams, controls its own destiny in the SEC West. So does Alabama. So does, I don't know about Ole Miss, actually. LSU controls its own destiny in the SEC West. And, uh, and, you know, they beat Alabama. They could go to Atlanta. Not saying they will, but they could. But you look at this team with two freshmen starting offensive tackles, with a transfer quarterback. Here's the scary part. Brian Kelly's 6-2 and two right now. If they're probably looking at 8-4 and four in year one with all the chaos, imagine what this guy's going to be like in two years, in three years, in four years. I think he's going to build the power, and I'm telling you right now, I'm planting the flag. I think he's going to be the fourth straight coach after Nick Saban, after Les Miles, after Ed Orgeron. I believe he's going to win a national championship before it's all said and done. All right, great it's not really the first segment, but it's kind of the first segment. Great segment on LSU here on the Aaron Torres pod. This is what I want to do. Do want to take a quick break? Do want to come back? As good of a day as it was for LSU, not nearly as good for Texas A&M and Texas. We're going to discuss them both. They take bad losses, frustrated fan bases. What's next? And I'll tell you this. I think Texas A&M has one big concern that nobody's talking about. We're going to take a quick break. Discuss that next. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And do want to talk about two teams that did not have a very good Saturday. Uh, two teams that are really kind of inextricably kind of tied throughout history. Uh, I do want to talk about Texas and Texas A&M. Now we'll get to Texas in a minute, 
because Texas had another one of those losses that you kind of just sit there and say, what the heck is going on with Texas? But we do, of course, have to talk about Texas A&M. And to be clear, like, let me let me make one thing abundantly clear, right? Like, I don't go into every week saying, I got to get a Texas A&M segment on this show. This is what I, I have to talk Texas A&M. No, there's a lot of good outlets that cover Texas A&M on a day-to-day basis. My buddies at Texags. Um, but I only talk about Texas A&M because it's oftentimes it's sports, right? If you're really good, you become interesting. And if you're really bad, you become interesting. Uh, kind of like in the NBA right now, right? Like the, the Los Angeles Lakers are probably the most interesting team, even though they stink. They're not the Warriors. They're not the Bucks. They're not the Celtics. But the Lakers are the most interesting team in the league. The Cowboys, when they're really bad, are very interesting. Tom Brady right now is not a very good quarterback. That is interesting. And so the college football perspective of Tom Brady throwing balls into the ground five feet in front of his receivers in Carolina on Sunday, well, the comparison in college football right now is the Texas A&M Aggies. Texas A&M went to South Carolina. Texas A&M played a team that they have historically dominated since they got to the SEC. Texas A&M lost again, third straight game. It's been close to a month now since they've won in an actual football game. Final score on this one, 30 to 24. Couple thoughts on this one. You know, first of all, this was the game. Like, like what I don't know if surprising with Texas AM at this point isn't the right term, but this did feel like this was kind of the game that they were supposed to get right. Uh, they're coming off of a bye. Yes, they are dealing with a lot of injuries, including a lot of guys that did not play on Saturday night, but you're coming off of a bye. You're playing a South Carolina team that, like I said, you have dominated. You've played basically every year since you got to the SEC. You have never lost to them. And this is the one that you think, okay, you're off a bye. You'll be motivated. You'll be prepared. You're going to take care of business against South Carolina. Uh, no. Texas A&M gives, off a, gives up a kickoff return to start the game. Texas A&M falls down 17-0 uh, before anyone can even blink their eye. I think it was like six minutes into the game they were down 17-0. And while they did rally, Texas A&M ultimately lost to South Carolina again, 30-24. to This now drops them to 3-4 and overall. Their third straight loss, as I said, they have not won in over a month on the calendar. Uh, and oh, by the way, the last win that they had was against Arkansas in that game that hit where the ball hit the top of the goalpost. And, and it, they were like essentially like an inch or two away from being now on a four game losing streak, being two and five overall and just being really, really, really bad. And so obviously Texas A&M loses and we all know what happens at this point in the calendar every time Texas A&M loses. It becomes a referendum on Jimbo Fisher. It becomes a referendum on the present and future of this program. Jimbo Fisher still owed north of 80 plus million dollars in a buyout. And so Saturday night became this fascinating question of what do you do? Same questions, right? What do you do? Would Jimbo Fisher even still have a job if the buyout wasn't so insane? And what is next for this program that is absolutely reeling right now. So I want to discuss all that, but I also want to discuss a new conversation that I do think is starting to emerge as this team continues to struggle week after week, after week, after week, after week. Now, in terms of what is going on and how it gets fixed in the context of everything, let's start with one thing. I know it doesn't make for sexy headlines or podcast radio conversations, 
Jimbo Fisher is not getting fired. Okay. I know there are people in the media that are going to tell you, well, you know, the AM boosters, they might come up with the money and $80 million is nothing. They are not paying $80 million to get rid of Jimbo Fisher. Okay. They are not paying $80 million this offseason to get rid of Jimbo Fisher. He is going to be able to come back next season. I do think there are going to be staff changes. I do think certainly um, Jimbo Fisher is going to try to continue to sell fairly or not that. Wait until these young guys start to get better and start to improve. We're building something. It is taking time. And so let's let's just let, like let's, you know, you can go to another podcast if you want to talk about is Jimbo Fisher going to be fired and bought out this year? It is not happening. And I think he gets most of next year for sure to figure it out. Then we, you know, if, if they're sitting at three and four or two and five in the end of October of 2023 then that's a different conversation that we have to have. And so as we look at what is going on right now, what is happening, how can it be fixed, what can be fixed, there are two things kind of on a positive note that come to mind for me, really three. One, even though AM was coming off of a bye, they have a ton of injuries right now. That's not an excuse. I'm not saying it's okay to be three and four right now if you're being paid $9 million a year. But facts are facts, spades are spades, the truth is the truth. And they are down quite a few impact players, obviously, even dating back three, four weeks ago. Their best wide receiver, Anaya Smith, is hurt. Injuries on the O-line, injuries on the defense. They were down to their third-string quarterback by the end of the night on Saturday. So there are a lot of injuries. Two, what I would say, and I'm not making excuses for Jimbo Fisher. I promise, 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 I am not making excuses for Jimbo Fisher. But I do think one thing that, like, cannot be ignored They're really, really, really close. Again, that sounds like an excuse. That sounds like somebody trying to defend somebody. And I understand when you have a $90 million contract and it is year five, that is not an excuse. At the same time, you go back two weeks to Bama. Listen, they were on the goal line, one play to beat Alabama for a second straight year. And you can sit here and say, well, Bama lost last week to Tennessee. Well, Tennessee is a really good team. Uh, Bama lost by a field goal. If Bill O'Brien knew how to call plays, they're at least going to overtime and they might survive. So don't tell me that, listen, I've been as critical of Bama as anybody. Let, let, let's not pretend like the like Rome is, you know, fallen in one day here. And AM had a chance to beat them. And what I would say about the South Carolina game is if you paid close enough attention, if you paid close enough attention, there were little bits of improvement across the board. One, Almost 400 yards of total offense. I'm not making excuses. I'm just stating facts. Almost 400 yards of total offense. They had over 100 more yards of offense than South Carolina. They finally started to move the ball a little bit. And it wasn't enough. And they didn't win. But the offense did look just a little bit better. Not good enough. I get that. But a little bit better. And then on top of that, they also did give up the special teams touchdown. If they make a tackle on the opening drive, there is a scenario where they force a punt and they end up winning that game 24 to 23 instead of losing it 30 to 24 after giving up a special teams touchdown. So that's the reality. That's the truth. It's not excuses. But I also do think as we start to look at Texas A&M, I do think one thing becomes increasingly clear every single week. And I think this is the realistic fix that will happen at Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher, the head coach, has to fire Jimbo Fisher, the play caller. And if Jimbo Fisher, the head coach, will not fire Jimbo Fisher, the play caller slash offensive coordinator, then the AD needs to come in and make sure it gets done. And I know what everybody will say, oh, Jimbo Fisher's stubborn. Jimbo Fisher won't give up play calling. Well, let's back up a second. I've talked about this before on the show. Urban Meyer, several years ago, 
offense wasn't working. If you remember those JT Barrett years, somebody got in his ear and said, you got to change some things around here. It's not working. They brought in a guy named Ryan Day, and Ohio State has had the best offense in college football probably over the last five years, dating back to Ryan Day's one year as an offensive coordinator, his four years as a head coach. Jim Harbaugh was forced to bring in Josh Gaddis, change up the offense. It has been done. And if I'm Ross Bjork, the the Texas A&M athletic director, this is what I do. I sit down with Jimbo Fisher. It's not an emotional thing. It's the truth. Look at the stats. Texas A&M currently ranks 108th nationally in total offense, and that's after putting up 400 yards on Saturday night against South Carolina. They put up 400 yards, and they still rank 108th. That's 13 out of 14 SEC teams. The only one that's worse is Vanderbilt, and it's negligible. And Vanderbilt does not have the talent that Texas A&M has, and they do not have a $9 million a year head coach. On top of that, Bruce Feldman threw out this stat. It's unbelievable. Texas A&M has now scored 24 points or fewer. In other words, no more than 24 points. In nine straight games against FBS opponents. So we're talking about the SEC, but we're also talking about App State. We're also talking about whatever. Nine straight games, they have not scored 24 points. And so everybody sits there and says, well, you know, he'll never give up play calling. Well, you look him in the eye and you say, you don't really have a choice. And I think you just be honest with him. And listen, I'm not claiming that I'm the AD and this is what I would do. But you just say to Jimbo Fisher, you say, if there was another guy calling plays right now, and that guy had the 108th offense in total, 108th ranked total offense in college football, is that a guy that you would keep on your staff? No. So Jimbo Fisher, the head coach, has to bring in a new offensive coordinator. He needs to fire Jimbo Fisher, the offensive coordinator. And I think then you can start to move forward with a ton of talent that will hopefully look better in a different system because this system ain't working, right? And I talked about it the other day is stop with the, you know, it just takes time for my quarterback to learn the system. What is good coaching? If you don't have the players, you don't have the this or you don't have the that, you fit the system to your players. That's what the great coaches do. I know it's not a great day to talk about this, but Chip Kelly talks about that all the time. I don't have a system. I do what is best for the personnel that I have, and Texas A&M needs to do that. So that's what I think is going to happen over the next few weeks is, listen, Texas A&M, you look at the rest of their schedule, and let's be honest. I mean, you look at the schedule. They could pretty much win any game left on their schedule. They could pretty much lose any game left on their schedule. Currently three and four. They get Ole Miss at home on Saturday night in College Station, okay? And the truth is, the bottom line, we all know Ole Miss probably a little bit overrated after what we saw against LSU this week. But I think, you know, I think it'd be surprising if, if Texas A&M doesn't take care of Ole Miss. They get Florida at home. They get Auburn at home. Those, those should be wins. UMass, and then they close with LSU, who is obviously vastly improving. We just talked about that. So that's, that's just where we are. I'm not going to try to sit here and say silver lining, good, bad. That's just the reality. Offense isn't good. Three and four. Could have probably won the last two games, have winnable games left on the schedule. Now it's up to, 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 you know, it's up to see what happens next. The last part, though, and this is the part that I want to get to. This is the part that, to me, is slowly starting to change as the season goes on. There is, there is one opponent that Jimbo Fisher has to watch out for that is a much tougher opponent than Alabama, than LSU, than Georgia in the East, even though they don't play Georgia, than Tennessee in the East, and that they don't play Tennessee either. The opponent that Jimbo Fisher has to watch out for over the next six weeks. Two words. It's called, well, three words. The transfer portal. And to me, that is what is interesting right now 
And that is what is going to be interesting over these next six to eight weeks. Because look, part of what has given Jimbo Fisher a pass up until really probably about three or four weeks ago when things went sideways is you have this incredibly talented roster and you have this insane 2022 recruiting class. And so I think, you know, if Jimbo's sitting at four and three right now, five and two, bad loss here, but whatever, you can still sell. Well, you know, we got a lot of talent. What concerns me now, if I'm a Texas A&M fan, is at the end of the day, the biggest fear I have is not LSU, not Bama, as I just said. It is the transfer portal. Because, look, in in this era in college football, you're going to lose players. Like, you're just going to. I think even Alabama, since the the end of last season, has lost 20-plus players to the portal, okay? It's going to happen. The problem is, at most places, you're losing those second, third-tier guys, and it certainly hurts your depth. It certainly hurts um, what what happens when there's injuries. At Texas A&M, though, they, a lot of these freshmen are playing, right? Leading receiver, Evan Stewart's playing. Uh, uh, offensive line, Cam Dewberry, true freshman, is playing. On the defense, Shamar Stewart, Walter Nolan. These are all guys that were five stars in last year's class. Denver Harris at corner. They're all playing. And so the fear now becomes, what if those guys leave? Because one, they're really talented. Two, they're actually getting minutes and reps and snaps on the field. And that would be my biggest concern. I think that's the biggest thing to be concerned about because you got a star wide receiver named Evan Stewart that could be a first round pick. But if he doesn't feel like he could be a first round pick at AM, if he doesn't feel like the system is built for him or the quarterbacks are good enough or the play calling is good enough, it ain't 2018 anymore. He can leave. He can leave after the season. And I'm, by the way, I'm not saying he's going to. I'm not saying any of these players are going to, but they can. And that's across the board. That's on the defensive front. That's on the offensive line. There's a five-star tight end named Donovan Green who's playing really well. And I'm not saying any of these players will leave. What I am saying, though, is that the option is there. There are obviously, we know how this stuff works. There are other schools probably talking to people very close to them, parents, seven-on-seven coaches, whatever, high school coaches saying, hey, listen, I'm not telling you to to, to leave A&M. But if he does leave, we've got a spot for him. And so to me, that's really what this the rest of this season is about for Texas A&M. For Texas A&M at this point, look, the season's over. You're not, yeah, like I said, I think nine and three, really eight and four in a worst case scenario was kind of the goal, but really just build, get these young guys ready for 2023 and really make your run then. But I don't think, I don't think they're finishing eight and four, not with LSU still on the schedule, not with Ole Miss still on the schedule. But listen, I'd say a couple things. One, Get, be good enough to get to a bowl game just so you get the extra practices. But two, right now, here's what the reality is. Figure out a way to be good enough to win enough games to just get some momentum so that you don't lose this entire roster. I think that's really what the next few months are about. Next few weeks are about is we're only, we only got five weeks left in the regular season. Do enough to keep these guys in the program. Win enough, develop enough, evolve enough, improve enough to keep these guys in the season because I think Jimbo Fisher can survive a six and six year. I think he can survive a seven and five year. What I don't know that he will survive. And when I say survive, I don't mean actual job. I mean, public relations PR. What I don't think he can survive is a season so bad where you go six and six, you go five and seven. But then on top of that, you lose a bunch of players to the transfer portal. All right, let's switch gears and talk about another team in Texas. Uh, one that, you know, probably if you follow college football for more than like 30 seconds, you know, uh, has always been kind of tied to Texas A&M. 
and that's the University of Texas. And, you know, normally I wouldn't necessarily pair them together, but both kind of similar type Saturdays. And so it feels like a good time to just kind of wrap this segment, come back, kind of wrap the show, talking a little bit of Texas. Uh, Texas almost, it's very interesting. They're almost like the mirror opposite of Texas A&M, at least coming into this weekend. Texas A&M was the top 10 team coming into the year. Texas, we kind of had moderate expectations for. We're going to pump the brakes. We've overhyped them before. We're going to take it easy. To Texas's credit, I think they created real buzz early in the season, nearly beat Alabama when Quinn Ewers goes down. Obviously, they were in control. Take care of Oklahoma, sitting at 5-2, and and we sit there and say, okay, we're finally starting to see it. Unfortunately, much like Texas A&M, they took a bad loss on Saturday. Final score, 41-34 to in Stillwater against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And I understand Oklahoma State's in the top 10. I get all that. But at the same time, Oklahoma State was down a million players to injury. Oklahoma State is a team that was coming off of a loss, was coming off of three straight games where they were actually outgained by the opponent. Texas was a six-point favorite and they lose in the most excruciating fashion. So let's get into it. Let's break it down. And to be clear, like this is not going to be uh, uh, like a, a fire sark. Texas is overrated. Texas is like, that's not what we're going to do over the next few minutes. But at the same time, I will say, I do kind of understand any frustration from any Texas fan because that loss on Saturday afternoon in Stillwater basically felt like 30 other losses that I have seen from Texas over the last decade or so. And like I said, you know, when it comes to the loss on Saturday, like what is so frustrating about it is a couple different things. One, I don't want to discredit Oklahoma State. Again, they were a top 10 team coming into this game. But as I just told you, ravaged with injuries, their quarterback Spencer Sanders has been banged up less than 100% coming off a couple bad games. They lose to TCU last week. But as I told you on Friday's show, it's really been about three or four weeks in a row now where this team has done what it's taken to win outside of TCU, but they haven't been playing great football. And so what's especially frustrating if you're Texas, this was one that you could have had and maybe should have had. At one point, you're up 21 to 10 early in the second quarter of the game. And even as late as the late third quarter, you have a double digit lead. 34 to 24. Then from there, Oklahoma State goes on a 17-0 run. I know we don't talk about runs in college, you know, in football the way that we do basketball, but 17-0 run. Quinn Ewers throws three picks. You have a bunch of penalties, and Texas looks like Texas has before. And what I think is especially frustrating is a few things. One, besides the fact that we've seen this loss from Texas a million times. I I do think what's different, this one feels different, especially this year, right? Like you go through kind of the last two years under Texas year one, it's Steve Sarkeesian. He's taken over new program, all that. But even this year, what have we talked about on this show with Texas is that they are up until really the last two weeks, they're going to be graded on a curve if they don't have Quinn Ewers, because the bottom line is at the end of the day, um, we have seen them with Quinn Ewers and we have seen them without and they're a completely different team. And so we forgive them for losing by one to Alabama earlier this year because Alabama's really good and you didn't have your starting quarterback and you were completely outplaying Alabama when that starting quarterback played. On top of that, when it comes to Texas, a few weeks after that, you lose to Texas Tech, but it's without Quinn Ewers. And we kind of like, I I don't want to speak for everybody, but I kind of gave him a pass. I said, look, 
it's clear they're a different team. It's They're not calling the same game plan. They're not as aggressive. They're not as fearless. I am going to give them a pass. But when Quinn Ewers comes back, I want to see that early Alabama mindset from Texas. And to their credit, since he came back, they've been pretty good. Destroy Oklahoma, beat Iowa State in a close game. And again, I think that's why if you're a Texas fan, you're so frustrated. You got to pass for Alabama for sure. You got to pass for many, including for me with Texas Tech. But this is the game where if you are really elevating yourself as a program, if you are really ready to go to the next level, this is one that you go win. And what's especially frustrating, I think, really a couple things. One, it was Quinn Ewers. Uh, Not saying a quarterback's not allowed to have a bad day. Not saying anybody's perfect. But this is the five-star guy. This is the guy that you have built the program around. This is the guy that has created so much hype, was so great against Oklahoma a few weeks ago. He just fell flat on his face. 19 of 49 passing, three interceptions for Quinn Ewers. And I know what people say, oh, Oklahoma State's a top-10 team. They had a great defense last year under Jim Knowles, who's at Ohio State. Oklahoma State came into this one with the worst pass defense in the Big 12 and 126th-ranked pass defense in college football. And they had three interceptions, held Quinn Ewers to 19 of 49 passing. So one, there's that. Two, we got to have the Steve Sarkeesian conversation again. And again, for the millionth time, just in this segment, I'm not saying you fire him. I'm not saying you can. I'm not saying you will. But like, how many times do we have to see the same song and dance over and over with Steve Sarkeesian? Right now, in year two, midway point, we've we've obviously gone beyond the midway point as Texas has played eight games. We're at really at the three-quarter point. Um, or two-thirds point. I guess it would be the two-thirds point. I'm not great at math. Forgive me. But we are now at the two-thirds point of year two under Steve Sarkeesian, okay? Year one, you go five and seven. Right now, you're five and three. I'm not great at math, but that means you're 10 and 10 overall as the head coach of Texas. Not great. I don't care the circumstances. I don't care who you inherited, all that stuff. That's not good. But what's even more concerning is a stat that blew me away. Texas now has 10 losses under Steve Sarkeesian. In five of those losses, Texas has had a double-digit lead and blown a double-digit lead in five of their 10 losses under Steve Sarkeesian. That is inconceivable to me. And so Quinn Ewers is back. Everybody's healthy for the most part. And you lose this game, and you lose the game that you've been losing it, and I think the way you've been losing, and I think it speaks to what I just talked about a minute ago. I get why tech like people think, oh, you don't like Texas because of this, because that. No, I, I like at this point, I kind of feel bad for their fans, man. I kind of feel bad for you fans. I know you guys listen to the show. I know you guys watch on YouTube. I get it. And it just feels like with this program, it's Groundhog Day. It's over and over. It's the same exact thing every single year for the Tom Herman era, for the Steve Sarkeesian era, for the Charlie Weiss era, Charlie Weiss, Charlie Strong era, for the back end of the Mac Brown era. One step forward, two steps back. Big win, bad loss. Beat Oklahoma, bad loss. Almost beat Alabama, get hot after, loss. It's just like, it's one thing if you're losing to Bama. It's one thing if Oklahoma's a top five team with Lincoln Riley and whoever, you know, Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. It's another thing when you're going on the road to an Oklahoma State team that's been banged up, lost the other day, and hasn't played its best football, I would say, in four or five weeks. And so if you're a Texas fan, I understand your frustration. Another frustrating loss, and this one felt different. This one felt different than Texas Tech. This one felt different than Alabama 
And I'll tell you this, it does not get any easier for Texas. They go into their bye this week. And then how about this? Playing at Kansas State, a team that historically, they've had a lot of trouble in Manhattan. I know they've lost a couple times there over the last couple years, and a couple of them have been close. You have TCU at home, which TCU doesn't seem to lose. 7-0 right now, atop the Big uh, 12 standings by themselves. You play TCU. At Kansas is not a walkover anymore. Baylor at home. And so one, I don't know what a a good enough record is where people get off Steve Sarkeesian's back. But my thing is, you got to beat Baylor. They're not very good this year. You got to beat Kansas. I don't care. No excuses. Play like a champion. To quote Vince Vaughn and Wedding Crashers. I think you got to split Kansas State and TCU. I think if you go 0-2 against Kansas State and TCU in this era with Quinn Ewers, as you're getting set to leave the Big 12 and they're running the Big 12 when you, you're you on your way out, I just think it'd be a really, really, really bad look. All right, so what I want to do, do want to take a quick break, do want to come back. I do want to wrap with two other sto- two other really kind of big stories from Saturday. One, what's going on at Clemson? Do they have a quarterback controversy? And then from there, We will switch gears, talk a little bit about that Oregon win, what it means, what it might not mean. We'll discuss all that. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap. With two other kind of quick stories, they're, they're, they're big stories, but I just felt like there was so much other meat on the bone today that that two stories that I don't want to finish the Monday show without discussing. The first one comes at Clemson. Little old Clemson, Dabo Sweeney entered Saturday 7-0. and And to the credit of their quarterback, DJ Uyangalale, um, really have been in control largely for most of the season. But something that we've discussed from the beginning, listen, I don't think DJ is who we thought he would be, which is an elite NFL caliber talent. But to his credit, he had played largely better than we were expecting after a season last year where he threw nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Coming into Saturday, he had thrown 17 touchdowns and two interceptions playing much better uh, than previous years. But in the back of our heads, and we talked about it after week one when they played Georgia Tech, I think there was always this idea of like, at some point, he might not be good enough to allow that team to win at the highest level. And he does have a backup named Cade Klubnik, uh, who was the number one high school quarterback in America last year. And it's not as though Dabo Sweeney has never made a quarterback change to benefit his team. Of course, in 2018, he made the switch from Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence. And I think we've all been kind of wondering for a while, is that ever going to happen at some point? But to the credit of DJ, He really hasn't allowed Dabo Sweeney to have to make a tough decision. Well, that all changed on Saturday. Clemson was playing Syracuse. Syracuse was a top 15 team coming in. And Syracuse was in complete control of that game. They were up 21 to 10 in the third quarter when Dabo had no choice. He made the quarterback change. He put in Cade Klubnick, the freshman from Texas. Cade Klubnick helps Clemson go on not one, not two, but three different scoring drives, and Clemson ultimately ends up winning the game 27-21. And so coming out of the show, uh, coming out of Saturday, I think it would have been very easy, if I was recording this show 10 minutes after the game, that we would probably lead the show with, does Clemson have a quarterback controversy? What makes it difficult, though, is that Dabo Sweeney has already said, DJ is our guy, he is going to be our guy, we are not making a change. I guess what I would say to that is, 
I, I can't get super fired up, but I do think there are some interesting elements to this. Now, first of all, what, what I do find interesting is I've seen a lot of this. Well, Cade Klubnik's not why they won the game. If you go back and look at the box score, he only threw four passes. And I think most people would sit there and say, well, how can you say that he was the difference when he only threw four passes? Well, I don't know. I would say he's the difference because the team had 10 points when they when he wasn't in the game. They were struggling to move the ball. He comes in, and in a quarter and a half, they score 17 points unanswered to give themselves put themselves in a position to win the game. So don't tell me he had no impact. I don't care if he only threw the ball four times, but as I said after the Georgia Tech game on this show in week one, and as I'm going to say again, this is a guy that when the offense, when he is in, the offense does run smoother. I'm not an X's and O guy. I don't claim to have all the details. But what you can't deny is that the offense ran better with him in the lineup. Now, I'm not saying that's a definitive reason not to start him. I'm not saying that's a definitive reason to put him in place of DJ. But I don't think we can just dismiss, well, he only threw four passes. Well, I don't care if he threw one pass. If you score 17 points when the other guy only got you 10, that says something to me. What I would also say about this is to sit here and say what Dabo should do. I think there's a couple variables here. One If you want to go back to DJ, that's fine. I do think, though, there's really only one. one, Like, you can go back to DJ now, but once you, if he struggles again, then I do think you can't go back and forth with Kate Club. This can't be a two quarterback Chris Leak, Tim Tebow for uh, reference from back in the old school days. At some point, you do have to make a decision. And if DJ is your guy, fine. But you better be sure. Now, the good thing for Clemson, the back half of the schedule is pretty manageable. They do have a bye this coming weekend. They do, after that, play uh, at Notre Dame. Not sure if you heard, Notre Dame's not very good this year. And then they they close with a schedule that looked tough early, but really isn't. Louisville at home, Miami at home, South Carolina at home. Who would have guessed in the preseason a schedule that included Miami and Notre Dame, both ranked in the top 20 to start the season, that South Carolina was going to be the toughest game? But I do think there's a possibility that they can survive with DJ. But I also think it's an interesting conversation of you're going to stick with DJ, but if you if you if you bench him again, you probably got to go with Club Nick. And then I think there's another variable as well that we have to talk about. If you go back to when Kate or when Trevor Lawrence eventually started at quarterback at Clemson, that season Clemson was undefeated. That season Clemson was very much in the race to win the ACC and make a college football playoff appearance. The thing was, though, if you go back to that season, why did Dabo make that move? Kelly Bryant was the starter. Why did they go away from Kelly Bryant? It was because Dabo knew in his heart of hearts that at the end of the day, there was a ceiling with Kelly Bryant and that the ceiling with Trevor Lawrence was significantly higher than it was with Kelly Bryant. And that's ultimately why he made the move. It wasn't to beat Syracuse or NC State or Boston College or whoever was on the schedule at that point. It was to beat Alabama and Ohio State and whoever else was good that year in the college football playoff. And so that, to me, is where it gets interesting because DJ's now in year three. We've kind of seen who he is, and I do think there's a conversation to be had about do you have to kind of figure out a way to get Cade Klubnik reps? Because you look at this Clemson schedule, I think they're going undefeated. And I think whether we like it or not, they're going to probably make the playoff, which is kind of disappointing because I think there's a lot of teams better than them. I think Tennessee is better than them. I think Georgia is better than them. I think Michigan's better than them. I think Ohio State's better than them. I think Alabama, assuming they don't fall apart, is better than them. I think, by the way, I think whoever wins the Pac-12, if it's Oregon or if it's USC, I think might be better than Clemson. 
but they are probably going to win out. And if they're 13 and 0, they're going to make the playoff. And again, at Clemson, they're going to be happy to be back in the playoff, but it's not just about getting to the playoff. It's about being good enough to win once you get there. And so this is all just a long-winded way of me saying, I don't have the answers to what Dabo will do, but I am very, very, very interested because I do think it's pretty clear at this point that I don't know if Cade Klubnik gives you a higher upside, but what I do know is I don't think you can win a national championship with DJ. You probably can't win one, one with Kate Klubnik either. I think it's interesting to consider as we look at Clemson going forward, and I'll just be curious to see what Dabo does. He's sticking with DJ now. I'm curious if going forward, he ultimately makes the move. Finally, let's wrap the show with one other topic, and I'll tell you this. You just talk about a game that I was catastrophically wrong on. How about those Oregon Ducks? Oregon 45, UCLA 30, as Oregon just completely dominates this game. Okay, I thought this was one of the best, the most dominant victories I've seen start to finish. And we talked about it on Friday's show. But Oregon, since they played Georgia in week one, they lose to Georgia 49 to three. Since they played Georgia in week one, they were coming into this game 5-0. and And... Coming into this game, this week eight, so they've played six games, yeah, plus a bye as they were 5-0 and coming into this game. Dominated really all five games, putting up 49.5 points per game in the five games since, since Georgia. But you sat there and you kind of looked at their schedule. BYU, okay. Washington State, okay. Stanford stinks. Arizona can't stop anybody on the ground. He said, I don't know if they can do this against the UCLA team. That, as I've said a few times, it's not just that they're good on offense. They had a legitimately good run defense coming into this one as well. Well, as it turns out, apparently they can because Oregon wins 45 to 30, and it was not that close. They put up 545 yards of total offense against the best defense they've seen since Georgia, 262 yards on the ground, six yards per carry. Let me just give the Oregon Ducks credit for this. That was one of the most impressive wins I've seen all year. I would actually say outside of now Georgia beating Oregon, which all of a sudden looks that much more impressive. And Tennessee beating Alabama, I think this was the third best win and third most dominant win that I've seen all year, considering who UCLA was coming into this game. Now, in terms of the bigger picture, there's a couple things. One, I'm happy for Bo Nix. So Bo Nix was the starter at at Auburn the last three years, and it just didn't work. He was inconsistent. He turned the ball over. He made crazy plays. He's found a home in Oregon, man. Saturday was probably, you know, Auburn fans, if you're listening, you have a better idea than I do. I think it was probably the best game of his career. 200, two, uh, excuse me, 22 of 28 passing, 283 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions, plus another 51 yards rushing. So we're talking about 320 or so yards of total offense, 330 yards of total offense, 22 of 28 passing, five touchdowns, no interceptions. That's incredible. I'm not ready to put him in the Heisman Trophy conversation yet, but if Oregon runs the table from here, I don't think it's inconceivable. Speaking of that, I think that's an interesting conversation to have because right now Oregon is in the driver's seat in the Pac-12. Remember, the Pac-12, the conference championship game, the two best teams go, the two highest ranked, not highest ranked, but best records go to the Pac-12 championship game. Well, Oregon, as things stand, is the only undefeated team in the Pac-12. They're currently 4-0 in Pac-12 play, and here's who's left on their schedule. At Cal, at Colorado, Washington at home, Utah at home, Oregon State at home. 
Now, Oregon State's pretty good. They're six and two. Utah is five and two, but Utah's at home. Washington's at home. So basically, their two toughest games are at home. And then the third toughest game is a cross state rivalry on Thanksgiving weekend that will be worth watching the Civil War. But you look at Oregon's schedule, it sets up really nicely for them to be 11 and one going to the Pac 12 championship game. And what's interesting about the Pac 12 championship game, they're probably either going to face UCLA for a second time or maybe a USC team that they do not play. So they are going to have a chance to pick up quality wins. And I think right now, they're probably the most interesting college football playoff contender that we have. Now, the thing that I would say why it's interesting is because there is one big elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is they got destroyed by Georgia. And so really what Oregon needs from here on out, Oregon needs Georgia to just steamroll everybody. Because think about the situation. If Georgia loses to Tennessee, that gives advantage Tennessee. And if Georgia finishes 11-1, that would give advantage to Georgia. If Georgia beats Tennessee, goes to the SEC championship game undefeated, but loses to, say, an 11-1 Alabama team, then you're looking at Alabama, and you're not going to leave out Georgia if they have the same record as Oregon and they have the head-to-head win. So I feel like it's a little bit presumptuous to start talking about Oregon. They're a playoff contender, but they're probably the team right now. Like if Georgia wins out, they're in. If Tennessee wins out, they're in. If Michigan, Ohio State win out, they're in. Even Alabama. Alabama wins out, they're going to the playoff. USC, Clemson is definitely going to the playoff. TCU, who we never talk about because I don't know what to say. They just keep winning games. Probably going to the playoff. Oregon's the one that's probably at this point going to need some help. They're worth monitoring. Last thought on Oregon, by the way. I thought yesterday was a huge day for the Pac-12 because, you know, the Pac-12 is fighting to figure out what it is going to be going forward. They're trying to figure out what a new TV deal looks like. And they're fighting for their relevancy on a national scale. I don't think the Big Ten is expanding. I've told you that 10, 12, 15 times since whatever, since since USC and UCLA left. And for Oregon to have a win like that, I think what it shows is Dan Lanning, their new head coach, super young guy, came from Georgia. He's probably the right guy. And then more importantly, they're a program that can continue to ascend in the new world of college football. I think there was a, a fear if we didn't go to a 12-team playoff, and even if we went to a 12-team playoff, if we didn't have automatic bids, I think there was a fear that the Pac-12 was going to get left behind. Well, now, 12-team playoff, six automatic bids, the Pac-12 champ is going to get in virtually every year unless absolute disaster happens. So the fact that you have the right coach, the fact that, oh, by the way, you have another elite recruiting class coming in, headlined by a five-star quarterback named Dante Moore from Michigan. I think that's nothing but a good thing. I thought last night was an important night for the Pac-12. You have a couple programs that appear to be in really good hands even after USC and UCLA leave. Utah is going to be in good hands as long as Kyle Whittingham is there. I think Washington is in the right hands under Kalen DeBoer. I know that they lost two stra- they lost a couple in the middle there to UCLA and Arizona State. I think they're in good hands. So I give Oregon credit, and I think that was a great win overall. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Tour Sports Podcast. I have talked long enough. I do think it is time for me to get out of here. One, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, I mean, like, what are we waiting for, people? Come on. Go ahead, subscribe to the podcast. Let's do this darn thing, right? Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, remember, episodes drop 
every single day, 9 a.m. Eastern time on YouTube. Make sure you are subscribing on YouTube. We also have uh, clips that are available on YouTube as well. So you want to listen to individual segments. They're all available there as well. Uh, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com uh, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Thank you to our partners, Betfred Sportsbook. Again, bet 50, get 250 on any NFL game, any college football game this weekend. And thank you to Bracket Fanatics. Make sure to sign up, join Brack, BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket Torres. Time for me to get out of here. That is all for today's show, and I appreciate everybody's support. Shout out to Torrent Crank. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. I'll be back on probably Tuesday. I am traveling on Monday, but I'm going to try to knock out a Tuesday episode. Thank you for your guys and girls' support. Try to be back on Tuesday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Appreciate y'all. Have a great week. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.